Hi, my name's Joseph Pack, and welcome to The War on Attention, where we try to answer the question, can you manage ADHD drug-free? On today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Ed Rainbow, a family doctor, general practitioner, men's mental health expert, and lifestyle medicine practitioner. Ed has helped thousands of people with mental health problems, and he's learned that most of them improve their lives significantly through changes in lifestyle. Understanding how areas such as food, movement, stress, and sleep all play a role in becoming unwell, Ed has become an expert in how to reverse that. He's also learned the hard way through his own experience that the medication, while working for a short period of time, ultimately does not lead to long-lasting change. Hey, Dr. Ed Rainbow. How are you doing today? I'm very well. <laughs> you good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what we're going by, isn't it, Doctor? <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice to, yeah. Nice to see you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on on, on your podcast. Yeah, no um, problem. Yeah. yeah, we've just been talking for about twenty minutes before we started this, so it's very it's been very very interesting to get to know you. But just for the listener, could you just explain um, who you are and what you're doing in regards to ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I guess fairly fairly complicated. Well, I'll try and make it simple though. So I'm. I'm a GP by background, um, so I've been a GP six years, seven years, something like that. Um, how did I end up suited with the ADHD world? So uh, about three years ago, I got very burnt out and I um, couldn't work. I couldn't really do anything. I was very depressed as well. And I had to take several months off work. And as sort of part of that, I suppose, you know, with time away from work, I started to sort of get better. But I decided that I didn't want to take a tablet based approach to improving. I, it, been, I've, I've often found with, with sort of depression that uh, patients rarely benefit from uh antidepressant use uh, that's my my experience um and so that, I, I was sort of against that so i did various things time off uh cbt uh counseling uh but also i sort of stumbled across the world of of lifestyle medicine uh lifestyle change and started to make incremental changes to my uh to my life around sleep diet exercise um alcohol uh, various things uh, that's just a very bridge list and i started to get better and then the more i got better i sort of like actually there's, there's a point where actually I, thought, actually I don't think i've actually felt this good in a long time um but as part of this process, I I um, looked in. I sort of was just trying to look into everything, and I I did an ADHD questionnaire online uh, one evening. I sort of one of those sort of desperate kind of feeling awful kind of evenings. I was like, oh right, right, this sounds. And there's sort of the whole story. I think it's probably a very common thing for people with ADHD. So when you start to read about it, learn about it, like, oh, this is my life. This is my. This is what you're, what you're describing. This sort of bouncing about everywhere and being a bit disorganised. Things. Um. So, um, on that front, I've recently uh, had an ADHD diagnosis. So it took about two years to get from lerp, sort of realising it to convincing my GP to refer me to uh, being picked up um, and, and seen by a, um, a psychiatrist here. And um, so they sort of confirm the, the diagnosis. Um, uh, so, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a sort of a bridge version. Um, uh, is that I'll do. I think that's good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we share a similar thought process, should we say around, ADHD, which is following, we believe that the holistic approach is the best way to do it. Um, and, you know, I'm interested to hear your perspective on what you believe ADHD to be, because um, it seems that many, many uh, experts, let's say in the ADHD world, seem to completely disagree on this. So, I mean, <laughs> we can even go, if you actually look at the evidence, uh, 
um, on ADHD, there is actually not a huge amount of statistical evidence around things like the dopamine theories and the um, even like genetic theories. So, so you'll get someone that's adamant that ADHD is a genetic disorder, but then you'll get someone else like Gabor Mate, for example, Dr. Gabor Mate, who says it's absolutely not. There's absolutely no evidence that it is and that it's more likely that it stems from trauma. Mm. Now, I I honestly have no idea. Um, so just, I mean, in, rather than thinking about it from a scientific literature perspective, what about from your own perspective, from actually treating people in real life? Where do you think, what do you think it is? I, that's a good question. I guess I've, I, so I, I don't, I don't treat anyone for ADHD, I suppose, with the medication. I am qualified in diagnosing and treating it, but I've not um, enacted, when I say treating, that's in a sort of biomedical drug sense. Um, as well, actually, as in, a, in, a, in a holistic sense as well. I do understand some of the uh, stuff about that. But um, I think, the so the reality for me is patients with ADHD, I find, are one is they don't know they have ADHD. I guess I guess that's one. No, that's not entirely true. But a lot of the time, people will kind of just often I'll see them in general practice, and they'll be really burnt out, or really depressed, or really anxious, um, or occasionally manic or psychotic, um, and they will often have had lives where they're just just completely kind of either working the whole time or it's, it's often work and family and go keep going keep going keep going must keep going um often they've dropped a lot of the things that keep them well often i find uh if you want to start talking to them exercise is often gone uh eating regularly or healthily is often gone um their work stresses are often increased, maybe through just, um, I don't I'm thinking of sort of NHS colleagues, just increasing workloads. Maybe they've changed job to take on a management position as well, and that's they find that difficult. Um, so there's those things. When you start to ask them about their background, so it's interesting you mentioned the Gabo Marte um, stuff, um, often there's a parent missing or hasn't been about a lot of their life sometimes there's been uh, abuse on um on whatever level whether that's sort of um violence directed towards them as a child whether that's um sexual abuse sadly from a relative often um whether that's just I don't know, sort of uh, just living in quite extreme poverty and, you know, just things are very hard. So, I mean, I'm, I'm only sort of scratching the surface here, but the, it, it's often complicated. And Do you know so um, doc, that Dr. Sammy Timoney? I've not come across him, no, but I'll... Okay, I'll, so he's I'll, a psychiatrist from yeah. Lincoln, actually. Oh, NHS yeah. psychiatrist Lincoln. He um he's written a book he's written several books on this. Uh, okay. He's, he's he he's a uh, he's a child psychiatrist. Yeah. And he said, um, I mean, this is very very controversial. What I'm going to say now, but this is what he says, not me. Oh, no, he says there's absolutely he's he he frankly doesn't believe that ADHD is is even real at all. Mm. He says that um it's basically caused by trauma, exactly as you've just explained. From literally exactly as you've just explained, and that the problem is if we pull ADHD all into one bucket like that mm. and treat it just with a drug or with mm. a boilerplate therapy, then we're not getting to the real problem. Sure. So his is like he'll say he he has only prescribed uh, ADHD medication once in thirty years of practice. Interesting. And what he does is he works with each individual patient to work out what the real root problem is yeah. in their life which could be that they've not seen their father for 10 years and he works to try and sort of yeah. fix that, basically. Yeah. Now, I think that I've met enough people with who have been diagnosed ADHD to say that it's wrong to say that there is no such thing because mm. we seem to have many, many similar yeah. traits. 
Yeah. And yeah. whether maybe he's like focused solely on the pathology of ADHD and actually it's more a personality type. Okay. okay. So maybe that's what I'm thinking. That okay. And that the thing is, as soon as it becomes pathologized, we create medication for it and sure. put, push, put it all into one bucket and that doesn't help the problem. Yeah, yeah. I think, so, I think there's I, some thought, there's some reasonable sort of thoughts there, aren't there? I, I think this is, I mean, this is always the slight problem, I suppose, with the biomedical model. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. There's lots of things medicine does well. There's lots of things I think medicine doesn't do <laughs> very well. Um, um, it's often best, I think, in in a in a um, acute kind of setting. If you're having a heart attack, definitely go to the hospital yeah, yeah. <laughs> out, and call an ambulance. Or if you're having a stroke, phone an ambulance and go to a hospital. Um, you know that kind of thing. Um, the I guess the, there's an interesting. It's an interesting philosophical question, I suppose, isn't it? When you essentially what you're doing is is you're sort of as you're saying you're pairing off like a part of. Um, um, a collection of behaviours, I suppose, in people which are common, and you sort of saying, well, this is what some people are like, and they have difficulties. Is, is there, a, you know, is there a drug for that? I suppose that's that's kind of, that's kind of the biomedical model. Um, the, it, I guess it's quite. It, 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 I don't know. I find it quite uncomfortable with with some some of psychiatry. I find I find it quite uncomfortable. That, but we do this because it, it, it. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure how often people are helped. This is. This is the thing. The thing. The, a huge number of appointments are either mental health in general practices, is mental health, or sort of. I don't quite understand what's going on here. The people that you see. The people I see, and I think yeah. everyone sees in general practice. Yeah. You know, there's million. You know, it's million appointments a day in general practice or something. You know. Right. Well. Um, <laughs> in the UK, so there's a lot of you know that's not all seeing doctors, okay, but but there's a lot of appointments every day, and there's a lot of kind of complexity, and I just I just wonder how much of that helps people uh, in in a, in a tablets and the, some people are, some people help you know I don't, are helped sometimes I'm not suggesting or not but equally. I struggle a bit with um, when I see someone on, say, three antidepressants or something like this, and they, you know, that's that's a bit two antidepressants, and they're just still depressed, um, and uh, it's just like, well, this isn't, doesn't seem quite right to me. But anyway, we've we've sort of drifted slightly. But yeah, I think in terms of so ADHD, um, I think it's sensible to apply different lenses. I think. Uh, to the individual, and I think the other thing is to go with the individual. Um, I think that's that's key. So the you as it you have for treatment to work, the individual has to think, has to sort of believe in it essentially. Right. So I, and as we've sort of discussing before we started, we, I I believe doing exercise will make me healthier and happier. So I do it regularly. You know I I believe meditating will uh it helps calm my mind and give me some space and allow me to sort of process it but so i so i do it you know so um if someone comes up to a general to gp and says um i'm you know i'm depressed or i've, I've got adhd and i want the adhd medication um say and you just go well all you can do is refer them to a to a service but it, it's it's hard to kind of change that story i suppose you know if, if that makes sense change someone's internal story um mm. so you can do it but um it's it's not necessarily easy so sorry, I've got yeah, i mean that's no, no 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 that's great that's good i mean that's that falls directly in line with what i'm doing every day which is trying to <laughs> i'm not i'm i again i've said this so many times but i have no opinion whatsoever on what the individual chooses to do so <laughs> if an individual person decides to take medication i have I really have no opinion where I have very, very strong opinions is on the manipulation from big pharma companies using inordinate amounts of marketing money to lie basically about the long-term safety and efficacy of medication. And what I've found is just from talking to people is 
you find generally that people who have been taking ADHD medication for a short period of time tend to like it and say that it works 8% of the time. People that have been taking it for a longer period of time absolutely despise it. Now, you said to me before we spoke, the longest um, trial uh, of um, ADHD medication is only two years. That's right, yeah. As far which as is not, right. frankly, yeah. not long enough to work out the long-term dangers. I, yeah, I guess the, I guess the point the the point of trials again with the cynics hat on is is to prove or disprove the efficacy of of, of the drug right it's a i mean it's a big, obviously take into account side effects um but again this is this is the thing so is there who's going around asking you know someone who's taken these things for you know um, amphetamine based stuff for a few years actually i how are you feeling does it does it help? And then if you if you stop taking it and feel awful, which you you know is fairly likely that you you will initially with any with any kind of any of these sort of um, drugs, uh, sort of psychoactive kind of drugs, um, is sort of a what do you, where what do you do then? Like what what how if someone doesn't want to sort of be in that situation? And that's not particularly kind of well catered for. I suppose the approach we kind of um, are, are suggesting sort of helps a bit, but often uh, coming off medication is is a very kind of rocky uh, path. To use antidepressants, I guess, as a as a um, as a sort of parallel, um, so the sort of nice guidance is very much sort of cutting doses down very quickly over a few a few weeks, sort of quarter, third. Um, uh, but I often find people get rebound sort of type symptoms, and then sort of doing a bit of reading online of the effect that you, this is fairly common. People report, so you you need to kind of do it quite kind of slowly, sort of ten percent sort of dose reduction. But tablets don't often allow you to do, to do that. So, um, so yeah, it's all quite it's it's a tricky um, tricky thing. Um, so yeah, I I I think there's always questions about. The long-term benefits, disadvantages of these things, and we don't, I don't, we don't know the answer. I think the way to ask, or find out answers, is to ask people their personal stories, which sounds like what, what you've been doing. Um, it's interesting because I was reading some research from Oxford University, and it was a, a mindful mindfulness behavior therapy, okay, which is yeah. like basically cognitive behavior therapy mixed with meditation. Okay. And that, yeah. uh, so Ruby Wax oh, is actually understand. sort of she's sort of like popularized this in yeah. popular culture, if you will. And there's some really solid meta-analysis data on this. Actually, I read that showed that um, uh, for people who are suffering with uh, drug-resistant depression, mm. that the rate of relapse uh, reduced by fifty percent after yeah. um, the, this mind, a course of mindfulness behavior therapy. And Dr. Daniel Goleman, he, he yeah. famously wrote the book Emotional Intelligence in, I think it might have been even in the 80s, that book. It's a long time ago, yeah. He said, um, if this uh, was a drug with a 50% drop rate, then some mm. pharmaceutical company would be minting it for all it's worth. That's but it. because it's meditation, there's two parts of it that make it difficult. One is, it's free. <laughs> basically yeah. and two it takes quite a lot of effort to start yeah and it's hard not just for the patient but also for the health care system to yeah. put everybody through a course of meditation i just think i can't even imagine that happening frankly no, no so no. i'm sort of getting somewhere with this which is you um are promoting a holistic yeah. way of dealing with mental health so what steps do you think people should start taking if they were? It, 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 this can be about ADHD or depression. I don't yeah, really yeah, mind. Yeah. Just yeah. It, it's you know just interesting to 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 think uh, hear your perspective on it. Where do you start? So you so the key for me, you start. I know it sounds sounds daft, but you start where you start. So whatever whatever you because uh, often people this is sort of what people all sort of ask is what would you, would you do first kind of thing, but you. I suppose so. In, from a life, so from a lifestyle medicine practitioner perspective, you listen to people. You say, I, generally, what you do is say, "Just tell me about your life." 
and and what happens in a day, you know, and then they sort of tell you about what they eat and what they do and how much sleep they get, and, you know, uh, what exercise they do and do they have any alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or uh, do, they, do they relax? Um, invariably not, um, I, I, I find. And um, you start from it. So you, I guess it's if you're doing it on your own, this is this is somewhat tricky. But just start, what is what what appeals to you? Like there's there's a whole world of information out there, isn't there? That's sort of constantly being promoted about how to look after yourself better, how to you know improve your health and well-being. So one is just just um, see what appeals to you and just try it. Just try something and but just do it for a little bit. Don't you know? Just a day or two days or something. Just do something. Um, whether and and make it easy. That's the thing. I guess this this is all the um, um, uh, I've forgotten the the name of the guy, but the the uh, James Clear, the sort of habits. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just do, just do something and make it easy and ideally if it's fun and if it, ideally if you can do it with someone else like go for a walk for a few minutes or something you know or whatever so just start somewhere and and because what well, if you start one is it's positive so something happens either nothing happens but you go well it's okay right nothing happened fine maybe what do I do next. Um, but if something happens, you often people feel good. They're like, oh, I feel better. Right. So how do I keep that going? And also, like, you've done it. It's autonomy. This is the key. Thing. So the, the biomedical model is all about, and I'm, I feel a bit bad saying this, but stereotypically it's, um, you know, I have a problem. Doctor has a solution. The solution is a drug, right? And you're passive and you don't have to learn anything. You have to do anything, right? You don't even have to think if the drug's working or not. You just take it, right? And that's a, that's a bit of an extreme thing to say. But for me, it's, it should be the other way around. It should, it should be, okay, I've got something's not right. Okay, you're, but you should be an equal to the doctor. So share, share, your, share your knowledge. Share your knowledge of yourself, your story. Make sense of that together. This is the key thing. And then, okay, what's next? So it's what's going on in your life that is changeable that you can go away and change and keep keep those changes going um so i think that's that's some of that's sort of some of it uh some of sort of what i thought was that what you're trying to trying to get get yeah yeah, yeah definitely so the, yeah i suppose but just specifically on the mindfulness-based cbt so um so that's uh some of the, the research is there so the, there's a really good uh app uh was a good website called frantic world um and their frantic their, world is that yeah frantic world dot yeah i think okay we'll okay and there's an uh hang on it's on the bookshelf hang on here we are so yeah um so uh uh frantic world okay yeah it's frantic world uh so there's a book that goes with it you can buy mark williams and um, it's a professor at oxford danny penman but you can just do the app it's four quid they don't make it's not a subscription model. Wow. Uh, so I often recommend this to patients, um, and it's it takes you through an eight-week mindfulness-based CBT course that you do. Um, you can just do on your own, and oh, I've, done, I've, done it, I've done it twice, um, and I found it really helpful. They teach you how to do breathing exercises, how to sort of look at your thoughts and have some self-understanding and then there's others of a little exercise they get you to do just be, being going for a walk around where you live and being mindful of your environment um stuff like this so that is a great place to start and i recommend that to a lot of patients um on on that front um uh, i guess the slight disadvantage uh, so i've done mindful space cbt kind of group courses and obviously you get to voice your thoughts and experiences and compare them with other people and there's power in that power in shared experiences um but if you want to start somewhere with that stuff that's a great place to start i would say and and you know any any mental health or any just if you want to just improve your own well-being um yeah yeah you know brilliant so um you've mentioned to me before about um small incremental changes over time mm. Mm. now how do you challenge so for example if a taking a drug works very quickly mm. and takes no effort mm. 
how do you convince a person to make small incremental changes with fairly high levels of effort yeah so that's a good so i would i would challenge slightly the effort kind of thing so one one is make stuff as easy as you can make it right so um uh how do we say so if you want to start doing some exercise just if you if you do none so half of women in the uk do no exercise a third of men just go for a walk you just move move your legs and walk for a few minutes that's you don't need to you know so it's that's easy right um or do and do it with someone else and do it at the same time each day or whatever you just make it easy make it routine um so some things some things are harder um but in some ways you know some things are easier so if you if you find you drink alcohol to deal with stress um but only drink a little bit just don't buy it just don't have it in the house that kind of anyway but um um so it's a it's a tough sell right in some ways the 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 competing models you're right um i would say the the reasons for adopting lifestyle type change small incremental changes versus just taking drugs is um but, but actually so it's very much autonomy so you're in charge you know you learn about yourself what works for you what doesn't work uh you learn when you feel um stressed whatever or, or you feel good you learn how to do things to improve your state of functioning of of feeling um um you know so you, you have power basically i think that's really i think that's that's the thing um i guess longer term you know if you're exercising regularly if you're eating healthily if you're um relaxing if you're uh, having a fulfilled life you might just like to develop any diseases or you know you just like just to live to a kind of old age and, and you know so um the biomedical type model you just accumulate diseases you know there's um like a, you know there's a i can't remember the time you get to about 60 or something off people often have four or five diseases they take six or seven tablets um and there's side effects you know from tablets is it's not like the the, the panaceas that you know if you take a blood pressure tablet like 10% of people have a side effect of that um whether that's swollen ankles or kidney dysfunction or whatever um so um yeah there are actually people in my extended family that are you've phrased that so well you just okay. accumulate diseases yeah <laughs> that's exactly diseases. what they're doing yeah and yeah. they i don't know why but they believe that the medication is taking it away. Sure. That's the model. That's the old model, basically. Mm. That's the model is is doctor, patient, um, you know. We the patient you don't even actually quite a few diseases now. The patient doesn't even know how many symptoms. So uh type two diabetes, you just diagnose on a blood test, blood pressure you diagnose, right. high blood pressure you diagnose with checking, you know, so people often don't have any symptoms at all. Um, I'm See not... that that's that's a very interesting point, actually. <laughs> so this, I'm slightly changing the words here, but this sort of comes from sure. Nassim Taleb, who we spoke sure. about earlier. Which yeah, is, yeah. he said, um, pharmaceutical companies make all their money from moderate illness. Sure. So, for example, giving me- uh, a diabetes medication to someone who shows no symptoms instead of instead of recommending lifestyle changes that could reverse the diabetes, mm. but of course that if you look at all the people in the world on like a um on a bell curve mm. those that actually require the medication are in a small percentage on yep. the extreme end yep. and that is not enough money to generate profits for the farmer big farmer industry and yet there's this massive bell curve of people with moderate illnesses that don't really need medication yeah yeah uh, who, that's, that's, that's where pharma makes all their money in that area. And yeah, actually, yeah. we saw this with the um, opioid crisis in the USA. That was exactly the same problem. Yeah, there's lots of examples. So the, the um, uh, diagnostic, so the diagnostic criteria for high blood pressure, every so often the numbers become lower. Uh, it's interesting. So more and more people as a result become 
pathologized, basically. Why is that? Um, that is well, it's just normal, isn't it? It's the it's the I say normal. It's the drug. It's basically more people do drug companies do studies to say, well, if we treat X number more people, how many strokes and heart attacks do we prevent? And then they can, if they say we do, we we prevent a certain number by doing this, then um, then they can sort of justify it on a sort of uh, health 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 economic kind of calculation. Um, yeah, there's I can't uh, there's yeah it's it, this is the thing. but the but what doesn't get reported is there's concepts like polypharmacy. So in the elderly, for example, if you take four or five medications regularly, you're more likely to fall over. Um, consequences of falling over in being elderly are hip fracture. Uh, one of the consequences of that is death. So um, within within um, uh, six months or one month. So it's it, these things are not um, uh, are not I guess to be how do we say sort of played with lightly. I think this is the thing. Um, and often people have lots of joined up side effects that they don't quite. They just feel ill. Um, or tired, or and and sometimes sort of drug holidays can be very drug holidays. So this is something sort of right. uh, old age uh, doctors do in, in in acute hospital settings. It's just often stop all the medications. And some patients will get better because wow. they've been being poisoned, basically. So um, so it's it's very it's very complicated, um, and. You know, it's it's this isn't to criticise people because it, it's often it's coming from the right place. People don't enter medicine to harm people. You know, it's, it, sure, but, yeah. but equally, you're you're given a model, a biomedical model, and uh, people, you're not, I guess, encouraged to criticise that model or or at least consider it in the round. Um, when when I'm I'm having conversations with patients about about this kind of stuff, it's often. Well, if you, you know, actually, if you exercise regularly, that'll drop your blood pressure by 10 points rather, you know, uh, rather than static in another another tablet or whatever. Um, uh, or if you learn to relax, there's often this thing where people retire and their blood pressure seems to drop. So just, ah, yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I it, it, it's complicated and... Again, it's patient stories. You know, my dad, you know, my dad died of a heart attack when I was fifty, when he was fifty-four, when I was a kid, sixteen. Um, you know, so it sort of weighs on my mind a bit sometimes. This, this stuff, like even if even with my kind of trying to be, you know, should I should I yeah. do it, med, you know, biomedically more or something like this? But um, no, I. It, 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 it's right to be cynical. I think. But we can connect that to ADHD there because we're saying. Let's say, you know, I I have a view that we shouldn't use medication. I, I, again, I have no opinion about what other people do, but I have a view that we shouldn't have medication for ADHD. Now, the pharmaceutical companies are selling it as a tablet you take every single day. And in mm. some cases, I've seen people taking it twice a day, which mm. frightens the life out of me. Now, if it was sold as a, here's a pill that you can use once a week, when mm. you have to do all of your admin work or clean sure. the house or something, sure. I'd, I'd probably be less negative about sure. it. Yeah. And of course, that probably would be a healthier, more useful use of it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. when it becomes something you use every single day, then it's it falls, to me at least, into the same category as giving medic- medicine to someone who is just inside the diabetes uh, yeah, potentially. Thing. Yeah, and could actually get out of it by changing their diet, going for a thirty-minute walk every day, and whatever. Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. I guess is what I would. My view would probably be where I've got to. I mean, this is what the lifestyle and the sort of movement is about: is is sort of not saying everyone can cure. We can get rid of everything by doing this for everyone, but yeah. you should do, adopt the lifestyle measures first in a supported way. Um, yeah. And and see where you end up. See you end up. I guess the what you're saying specifically about the um uh, like the like the sort of amphetamine type sort of stuff is there are you know these the, the medicines prescribed largely now are sort of we call longer acting. So, but but basically you've got you've got normal amphetamines that last about four hours ish. 
it's not quite, you know, uh, and so you get that that benefit to help you concentrate on something mundane, um, basically, or something that someone with ADHD won't won't find interesting and will struggle to do, uh, like say housework or filling in a tax return or some sort of admin or something. Um, but the yeah, your sort of the first line sort of prescriptions now are uh, sort of combination drugs where you get a you get that short hit first off, and then you get a kind of slow release kind of hit over about twelve hours, fourteen hours or so, twelve hours I think. So the um, again, I'm not I'm not the expert on on this. This is just sort of from from learning really. So um, but you don't again, it's the autonomy, isn't it? You don't. You can't kind of play around with it. The drug company has decided essentially what the, what the, what you should be taking. Um, yeah. So and and also that limits what the psychiatrist can prescribe you as well. Mm-hmm. So, but having said that, um, I think an open uh, open minded psychiatrist will, if if you said, look, actually, I just if you sort of ex- if you were empowered enough, kind of have have learned enough about it. Um, you know, wanted to. So I think if you sort of said, look, actually, I just want to try the um, medication just as a short acting thing, uh, just just to see, does it help me do this specific task? How do I feel afterwards? Um, I suspect I suspect people would be okay with that. Um, but equally, how many people are that empowered and um, mm. are so knowledgeable and whatnot? So I don't. Uh, and that's that, that's the, that's the question, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it. I I find so if I when I have to do my tax re- return each year, I find it as close to impossible as you can imagine, and I'm sure that that is probably the same for most people with ADHD. And like in that moment, yes, I do sit there going, "I wish I could just take the, the medication," but mm-hmm. because I found that um, by reverse engineering, in like how uh, Ritalin works for as an example. Um, yeah stimulating part of the brain that releases dopamine i then looked around to see what else does that and then got in realized that cold water does so i'll actually get myself if i know i have to do my tax return i'm gonna have an ice bath first great okay now that actually does the exact same thing yeah i said the only difference is it lasts about three hours not 12 okay but and the and and the uh what so it's sort of like i would say the diminishing of the effects of um the mm. ice bath wear off very gently okay to where later on in the day i'm sort of you know i'm not focused anymore but i'm also very calm i'm still very calm and whatnot and there are no side effects yeah to that that's um, yeah. that's okay and that is an extreme thing to do i know it is i know it's very extreme and most people don't want to do that but you know a four or five minute cold shower will give you enough attention to do a tax return. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I can so, sort of vouch for the, the cold, the cold showers. Um, yeah. It's, is, is actually very, um, that was something actually I started doing after you, you reading it, one of your posts. And so I don't knew that it was a, a thing to try, and, uh, uh, but I, I kind of gave it a try. I was just like, Oh yeah. Right. Okay. It's just kind of calm everything down. It's really interesting, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so I, I, but this is the thing, isn't it? It's about experimentation and things. And I do, you know, having an ice bath is a bit extreme, isn't it? I think that's, I think that's, and I suppose the, the sort of, the, uh, the, um, you know, the sort of normal doctor would go, well, just how many people are going to do that or whatever, or how many people are going to take a cold shower or whatever. But um, if you don't, allow people the opportunity to kind of explore these things um, which is what you basically if, if you basically because you're making the assumption for people basically aren't you you're going to say yeah. well people aren't going to do that are they um um then um that's then you you so you're taking those kind of options away um oh yeah you so, just have to put it forward and allow them to choose for themselves i think so they want to or not i think so i think so and not overwhelm people that's the other thing so you can you can put inadvertently put people off by giving them too many options if that makes mm. sense. Um, so this is this is where there's a slight art to this kind of lifestyle. That's the stuff. It's sort of finding the little pinch points where people kind of are kind of ready to try something and, and interested mm. to try something. But equally, it's... actually, like like we're doing, sharing your own stories um, is is really powerful. I think because it's sort of so. Well, actually, you know, I, uh, I do this and it helps, and it and mm. and 
give it a go. It's it's not as hard. You know, the cold shower isn't as hard as it seems. No, um, no. It takes a couple of goes to get used to it, but actually do a bit of breath breath work before, uh, mm-hmm. calm yourself down, uh, keep yourself calm while it's happening, and and it's okay. So um, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. But, yeah. So I mean, so from your work as a GP, you've um, mm. obviously you've spoken about um, treating people. Oh, sorry, having conversations with people who are suffering from depression and mm. using um, antidepressants, and you've spoken to people who may be diagnosed or even undiagnosed ADHD, and mm. trying to work out ways for them to follow a holistic path. Mm. Um, so you have another project on the side, don't you? That you're working on. Um, yeah. So. It, so, which is going to go much, much deeper into this. So, I'd love to hear more about that, actually. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, it's so I'm calling it Men's Mind GP, and um, uh, yeah, so that's the website, mensmindgp.com. Come and have a, have a look. Um, so, and it comes from a place of of my own, I guess, my own my own personal kind of stories, um, as we've kind of been been exploring, saying. Basically, you know, I got very burnt out, and I, re- you know, I, I made lots of lifestyle change, and came across this whole world of lifestyle medicine. I've, I've done the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine diploma now to kind of um, continue the learning. Um, but something that struck me during all of this time was that men um, are often a bit invisible in the mental health sphere, and um, I. Uh, you know, something that made me, one of the things that made me realise this was when I, after I started to get better, I started to tell my old friends that I've been struggling. And some of them would say, oh, yeah, I've been depressed for 10 years. Like people I'm really close to. Wow. Right. Also, you know, and I'm a bit like, oh, right. You've never told me that before. Like, you know, but then it, I sort of realised, well, okay, there's something going on there, isn't it? And then I look at, then I sort of start to think, well, actually, what happens in a GP clinic? Not many men turn up talking about their mental health. They come, it's often a stereotype is either mum or sister or partner uh, brings them in. Basically, it says they're not right. Um, and that's that's where you start. Um, so then I, I sort of feel, what's going, what is actually going on here? And then realisation that the whole setup is um almost not by not by design but by existence is actually puts men off <laughs> on, on right. its level seeking help so i so my my so what i've, I've sort of tried, i'll try and sort of summarize it briefly but there's something that you know we've got this boys don't cry kind of thing right this kind of culture where we men don't talk about stuff um men uh men are these things and it's very black and white kind of either i'm fine or we don't talk about it it's kind of that's it um we've got a stigma which is all very negative and it's about i can sort this out i'm strong i'm you know i can do this we've we've got the, the medical model actively puts them people off so i call it the dts so diagnosis doctor a lot of men just don't want anything to do with those Tablets, talking, and time off again all put people off. Especially yeah, time I can off. I can feel that in myself, and I'm actually quite yeah. an open man. You know, I'm open to this sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You can feel the it's it's uncomfortable. Mm. It's actually uncomfortable for me to talk about. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is sort of why it's important. To, but it's the time time off. Time are you often men time off work? Like, absolutely no chance. You know, mm. I, you know. Um, um, and then men are different. So, and I, I, I find, I, again, I'm a bit conflicted saying that, but often men's behaviours are different. So they resort to alcohol or drugs when they're feeling rubbish, get aggressive or kind of just avoid situations, disappear from work, become homeless, disappear. Um, they're just flat and, and just non, non-responsive and they don't, they don't understand. So, I, I realize there's so, and I, this is, this is, I was, there's so self understanding is so limited. I, I had very poor self understanding about three years ago. I've got, you know, come a long way, but this stuff isn't, it's not in the, it, well, that's not quite true. It is in the medical and the curriculum, undergraduate curriculum now. So I teach a course uh, at, at Leicester University, which is about helping 
uh, students uh, improve their kind of um, well, you know, well-being in a holistic sense. Vagrants exist now, but but generally doesn't. Um, and then we've got this kind of disempowerment around that. So so uh, sort of you know people not understanding what we've talked about. So my idea is you turn it all on its head. So you hear the stories, what's actually happened to you in your life? How have you ended up here? You take the positive bits of the stigma. So there's growth, there's strength in saying, oh, I can grow as a person, I can change. There's something about self-reliance where you say, well, actually, I've got friends, I've got people around me I can use and lean on. Um, being a provider is, is quite important. So this is often people say, you know, so doing that is important as a man, providing for your family. And then what being as part of a group. So often there's a sort of fear of being singled out for that. But if you share as a group and things are okay, then that can be helpful. Um, and then making it very much about learning and engagement, um, changing, making it, um, acknowledging the different ways men express distress, I think is important. Sort of um, uh, just sort of being able to tell the stories and understand what's going on. And then the key thing, which we talk about all the way through, is if you understand what's wrong with you and understand what you can do about it, then you have the autonomy, you have the power, you can go away and change things. So that's my, my course is basically doing those things with a sort of lifestyle lens, getting enough sleep, getting enough, uh, making sure you eat well, um, manage your stress, um, what goes into your body. Um, and, and we talked a little bit about kind of trauma and things like that. So just touching on those things. Um, often they're a bit too delicate, I find, uh, but there's often a good moment to kind of think about what happened to people in their childhood and why, why what's, what's causing them to drive their kind of actions. Uh, what else? Mindfulness, like we've talked about. So all, all sorts of different areas. Um, and uh, yeah, sort of bundled it all up as a course. Um, so do you people. find that a lot of the men that you would work with are coming in for reasons that are not related to ADHD, but you're noticing some perhaps undiagnosed ADHD in their behaviours. Uh, oh yeah, totally. Oh, men and women. And so, so yeah. this, I guess is more general practice. I pick people up um, in that way, but yeah, men um, um, often, how do we say people are really distressed and burnt out and can't function. This is often a, often a, a starting point and it's often you often giving people a bit of space. So if people, People do take time off work. It's not just that point blank refusal, but um, when people start to kind of relax a little bit and be away from some of their stresses, like you kind of connect, you can ask them a bit more deeply about their life, and so you can pick up, you can sort of find the sort of standard ADHD type behaviours around, you know, sort of disorganisation and uh, poor sleep and whatever. But then you then also Sometimes you get the story of of a difficult upbringing. Quite a lot of the time, actually. I, maybe it's maybe it's sort of I ask about it more and more now, so you can get more comfortable doing that. But um, a parent is often missing or has died. Sometimes both parents brought up, sometimes brought up by a grandparent. Um, sometimes drug, a lot of sort of drug and alcohol use in the house. Sometimes um, abuse towards the child. Uh, or witness abuse of of of, um, of of the parent, one of the parents. Um, it's this this sort of stuff tends to come out. I find if you once you allow people to tell the stories, and I think I think that's really that important. One is one is just to say stuff, um, say your story. So there's um this is sort of more talking more generally, but there's a study that shows that if you allow people to if you ask people about what we call sort of adverse childhood events aces um um they if if you allow them just to oh, on tick form you can just ask just give people to and you sort of follow it up so say do you do you want to tell me about that and do you want you know do you want to need, do you want to more help they come about they go to the doctor less about third they book a third less appointments after, after that so just acknowledging that sort of unspoken distress can be powerful. Wow, yeah, that's very, um, that's so, but I, I, I think that's a big part of, uh, of well, a big part, a part of ADHD is mm. often a lot of this holistic distress, I suppose, and these sort of 
failure type kind of behaviors and thoughts um but probably some of that is tied up with trauma and interesting because in um yeah, I mean, Johan Hari is a journalist, he's not a doctor, but he's written some great books on these mm. subjects. And one book he wrote called Stolen Focus, which is actually not about ADHD, but it talks a lot about ADHD in the book. He said, mm. like, he's spoken to lots and lots of doctors, and he said um, there are a lot of doctors making an argument that ADHD diagnosis has gone through the roof mm. in recent years. And there's a correlation between changes in lifestyle over the past 10 years mm. with the adoption of social media and gaming and spending mm. more time inside and children not going out to play in the streets as often and, and you know it's an endless list of changes that are actually causing potentially causing increases in diagnosis of ADHD which is actually leading to a massive overdiagnosis of ADHD it's an interesting theory, isn't it? I, 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 so all of those, um, I would agree with a lot of those lifestyle sort of triggers and, and environmental sort of triggers. Um, probably another one would be obesity and, you know, childhood obesity just kind of, and there's a sort of, you know, being obese causes a series of inflammatory reactions in your body and brain that causes things not to work properly. So, um, that, you know, that would probably be another one. So, um, um, yeah, I, I guess that would be um, a thought is actually, is this an environmental, uh, is it a disorder of the environment, if that makes sense? So you meant that's exactly what Dr. Sammy Timoney believes that it is. Yeah, yeah. So when we meant, so in a, I can't, I can't remember the American um, guy now, but, 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 but it, essentially there's um, a line of thinking which makes a lot of sense that in a, in a hunter gatherer society, yeah, Tom uh, Hartman. That is, I yeah, I think I think Tom that's Hartman. it. So we're, we're being a, having being ADHD, uh, you know, having faster reflexes, having being quick, uh, being awake in the middle of the night, have lots of communal advantages for you know individual advantages, but also communal advantages for a group of, and and so in that environment, um, as a, as a as a group for those. Um, um, uh, sort of ADHD type individuals that would be very valuable um, in terms of survival. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest. And and this is probably why you know if, if I you know every night before we were talking, well, a bit earlier this morning, I went for a walk around the park, and I just it just calms me down. Just looking at trees, just mm. having your feet on the floor, um, just just makes you very calm. But Again, most people don't do that. They, they drive That's why I've people. I've really gone one hundred percent towards these holistic therapies mm. of mm. ADHD, which is I caught. I, I don't know if the phrase holistic therapy is right or not, but swimming in a cold lake, walking yeah. barefoot through a field, these are things that yeah. I do. Uh, yeah. Being outside as much as possible, exercise, yeah. uh, eating whole food diet, yeah. you know, and it's they're all environmental changes and those environmental changes make an enormous difference to my ADHD symptoms. So when I was at school as a kid, I would, I I could not concentrate in class at all. Mm. And I just used to always just used to like pull girls hair or do something to get in trouble. And it, I actually had no idea. I actually, I to to be honest, I'd never thought about that until I got diagnosed ADHD. And I sort of realized, I think I was doing that because I was so bored that mm. I needed the teacher to tell me off because that sure. was more exciting than anything else. Sure, sure, sure. Now, if, I, if I'd have been outside doing a job outside, I, you know, I'd probably... If I, the longer story is I ended up founding a marketing agency when I was 22 and with no GCSE, I, well, some GCSEs, but no A-levels sure. or degree, a university degree. And I ended up... Um, that did quite well, and but that ended up burning me out. Sure. Now, if I'd have ended up going to be a tree surgeon, let's say, or, you know, an electrician or something, yeah. I probably would never have been diagnosed ADHD. No. You would theory. have worked 13 hours a day. I'd have just gone time. through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, and, it's, and, it, and those jobs, tree surgeon, as closer in relation to a hunter, hunter-gatherer, yeah. than it is uh, working sat down in a chair all day, which is That's bad for everybody. Frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. And staring at a screen. Yeah, 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 and like we can go into depth here about like, for example, if my eyes are only looking, you know, two feet in front of me all day, 
They're yes. just destroying them, basically. But if yeah. I'm looking out, even if I just look out of the window yeah, yeah. and look 30 meters you know, into the field, then my eyesight over time will deteriorate slower. There's so many yeah. reasons why us being trapped inside all day staring at screens is destroying us. Yeah. And ADHD may just be one of those ailments that's caused yeah, a, from a this lifestyle. Yeah, a manifestation of that. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a reasonable uh, thing to say. I mean, it's it's multi multifactorial and multifaceted, but the way we lead our lives is is yeah, it's not basically not very good for us, as you know, in a in a <laughs> in, yeah. in a nutshell. Um, I I guess the question is. Um, and uh, and and the, I don't know what the answer is necessarily. Is how how changeable is is sort of societally more broadly? Like how much autonomy do people have to change their jobs and things like this? I I don't know. Probably not a lot. Know. But equally, it's probably not beyond humanity to work in the you know to to create a way of doing this of of of, of doing things. But equally, look, I mean. If you have a job where you're now sat at home, like we are, I suppose, you know, and um, actually there's a lot of autonomy within that. Um, and you have, to, I think this, this is probably where you start. So, um, finish, you know, make, turn on the short and meet, minute meetings thing, you know, stop, finish your meeting five minutes early, go and do some press ups or something like this is what I do. Um, or uh, go and meditate for five minutes in the garden or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and make sure your meetings, everything doesn't run kind of continuously through the day. Stop and eat lunch. Um, turn this. Turn, don't have your phone with you while you're eating lunch. You know, this kind of stuff. So, um, for anyone that's anyone with ADHD listening to this, which is probably everybody, frankly, <laughs> is that they should they should read the books by uh, Katie Bowman. She's a okay. biomechanic, right? and okay, she yeah. She actually, her books are incredible because they teach you how to live inside your house as if you're outside. Brilliant. <laughs> so, okay. for example, like I, I have a stand-up desk. Now, I know yeah. that they're expensive and I'm very fortunate to have one. But I also sometimes grab my laptop and put it on the bookshelf, which is behind me, and stand up. Okay. I have like a yoga mat in here, which I lie down on and work. So I change almost every 20 minutes. I, I'm not doing it while we're recording this podcast, but generally every 20 minutes I'll move somewhere in the, in the house. Mm. and work in a different way changing my body shape and it just keeps the body moving because yeah. and that's that helps me and it's so so good for adhd because yeah. you're not just you don't you're not sat there for half an hour in one place or an hour or even longer just mm. static mm. which just gives your brain the uh, license to start chatting and telling you mm. you want to do something else with your life like quit your job to become a fireman or something so <laughs> but if you keep moving around the house you'll be fine like, yes. that's what I found anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. And use use timers to help, right? Like sort of a Pomodoro kind of thing, you know, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 25 minutes is your thing. But again, work out what the right length of time is for you. Everyone's different and that might vary throughout the day. And, yeah. you know, so it's all about experimentation for me. All about, you know, self-improvement, learning, allowing yourself to fail. I suppose that's the other thing. Don't. Yeah, yeah. If this big problem with ADHD, isn't it? Sort of, you, your 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 life will have been riddled with people telling you you're useless, and yeah, um, you know, I, is it is totally this is exactly my kind of life. I went to I went to a school where everyone was extremely clever, and uh, so I was I was told I was not uh, um, very clever, and basically just sort of ignored. Um, and um, this is simply not not the case you kind of have a lot, <laughs> a lot to give and people often yeah. have a lot often they um i find people with adhd are much cleverer than society would allow them to sort of think and they have a lot more ability to improve and things like this so it's you know it's i view it as a gift i would say um rather than a kind of curse that would be my my uh my my view on that yeah, definitely. That's a great way to look at it. So, I mean, um, before we finish here, like, how how can um, the listener learn more about you and find out more about what you're doing with your yeah, project? Yeah, yeah, fine. So, uh, I mean, GP. Yeah, so there's the website. Um, come along. Uh, I'll be start. I'll be doing some sort of online talks kind of uh, soon. Um, uh, just you can contact me via LinkedIn. Um, always happy to kind of uh, speak to people. Um, Try and post on LinkedIn every uh, every couple of days, so respond to those things. Um, 
feel free to email me at ed at mindgp.com uh, if you want to have a chat about if I can help you in any way. Um, and yeah, that's sort of there's all, all sorts of different things. So um, that's uh, that's some of the ways we can do that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic to talk to you, and I was uh, I really enjoyed hearing about what you're doing. Great uh, with Men's Mind GP. Thanks Great. for thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure, and I think we've covered a lot of really really interesting stuff there. So I hope uh, hope people get a lot out of it. Sure. Thanks. Awesome.